When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Porter's Adams ready to swing, and he does slash on the way through, and the Sox take the lead. Adam Angle with a ruse. And we're going to break a Twins game down like it's football and probably lose our minds over some of the things that happened in that game, that loss against the White Sox last night. But first, a quick word for Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Also, old tweets exposed today. Uh, Jay Williams from ESPN Radio will be a guest on the show. Uh, Federated has been helping business owners for over 100 years in the state of Minnesota. Federated gives you peace of mind. When you partner with Federated, you get more than just a policy. You benefit from over a century of experience in making businesses as successful as they can be. To put it simply, when Federated measures their own success, they measure it basically parallel to the success of your business. When you succeed, they succeed, and hopefully vice versa. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. And remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. We had plenty of opportunities. Our at-bats were actually pretty good when we had the opportunities with the runners in scoring position. You know, they, they probably uh, weren't as good. We, we just weren't able to, to get it done when there were guys out there, um, you know, waiting for a hit. But that's going to happen. There's nothing to that. It's just something that, that does happen. And, and again, it's, it felt like almost every inning we, we had uh, a guy or two out there just you know getting on, getting on early, and we just weren't able to, to push him across. All right, in the spirit of breaking football. a Twins baseball game down like it's football. And just a public service announcement here. Now that we are in the teeth of sports season after six hmm. months of pandemic, we're very grateful for this. But um, but if, if there's new listeners or listeners that are coming back to the Mackey and Judd show, Couple different notes. Number one, we break these twins games down with obsessive detail like they are football games. So strap in whenever the twin season comes to an end, whether it's in three weeks from now or in a month and a half from now, we'll be breaking down all of these games like they are football games. And uh, we have deep dive Vikings conversations too on a daily basis on the Purple Daily Podcast, Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. And also uh, the Purple Daily Podcast YouTube channel, youtube.com slash purple daily podcast. For other Mackie and Judd YouTube content, you can get you can get us on YouTube.com slash scorenorthmn. So Rocco basically says fifteen runners left on base last night. They literally had like leadoff doubles every other inning of that game last night. And uh, it and so mathematically, 
it's pretty tough to leave more than 15 guys on base. I'm sure there's examples historically, but Nelson Cruz left most of those runners on base. Bases loaded all the time for him. Yep. And Rocco kind of chalked it up as, eh, sometimes that happens in baseball. Yep. What is your reaction, Judd Zolged? Is it just, sometimes that happens, let's flush it, or eh, let's drill down a little bit more? Oh, cons- uh, considering the series that they were coming off against Cleveland, I'm sorry, I can't, well, I've got a panic button to hit, but it's not about that. Um, I've got him a two for 15 with... Runners in scoring position. I thought you were going to hit it again. Um, it was ugly. It was... It, Dylan Cease, who I actually sort of like, did everything that he could to gift that game to the Twins consistently. But the Twins ceased to score runs. But, oh, that's very Hey-o. good. So let's see here. We went uh, to, to your point about guys getting on base. Kepler singled to open the game. Lamont Wade Jr. doubled to open the second. Adrianza doubled to open the third. Um, Jorge Polanco walked to open the fourth. This is incredible. Adrianza then walked to open the fifth. Um, Jake Cave doubled to open the sixth. They did not fail to get their first guy on base until the seventh inning when uh, Polanco bounced out to the or grounded back to the pitcher. So anyway, uh, if this was a reoccurring theme, yeah, I'd be concerned. But one, it's not. They just scored a bunch of runs. In fact, they hit, what, 11 home runs in three games against Cleveland. Number two, they had Gonzalez, who was awful but then picked up. Marwin was sick. Sano has a neck. Go ahead and hit the panic alarm on that, by the way, because that neck is bothering for a while. That's not a good thing. Again, I have not covered m- many big guys, especially, who have had neck problems where it's been, ah, no big deal. <laughs> He's always got something. And Ros- it's always something. And Rosario and- now is uh, was out after stupidly putting his arm into Buxton's chest trying to catch a ball late on Sunday. So anyway, uh, as far as the offensive inefficiency goes last night, and there's lots of things that we could talk about, uh, tentacles off that game. That one doesn't have me concerned. It's annoying. It was definitely, sure. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I would call it a... It's a bad loss in that you should have scored like eight runs in that game, but it's hard to get worked up for me because these games don't even really matter. You've clinched a, you, you haven't mathematically clinched a playoff spot, but you've basically clinched a playoff spot. You're not you're not going to go on some you're not going to lose like ten games in a row at this point. Your starting pitching has been too good. Barrios wasn't great last night to start, but he settled down and he gave you I think against a, one of the best lineups in baseball. If you look at the slugging percentage leaders in baseball this season, of the top seven, the White Sox have three. Yeah, Nelson Cruz is number one. The oh, White Sox so- have three. Their softball team is great. So if you can, if you can go five or six innings against that lineup and only give it one run, you're you're doing all right. So there's not a whole lot to rip with Jose Barrios from last night. But so on one hand, breaking baseball down like it's football, that's a terrible loss when you put that many guys on base and you've got your lineup has a lot of backups and Lamont Wade Jr. I love watching that guy work counts. He's actually a joy to watch at the plate. He's he got a great eye. Smart. Uh, I think he's a fourth outfielder long term, but when you put that many guys on base for your big gun hitters, it's a disappointing if not just like eye-gougingly annoying loss. But it's hard to get too worked up in that if you finish the number 1 seed or the number 8 seed, you're all going to be in a bubble in San Diego anyways well, after yesterday's news. It doesn't it doesn't matter. I believe that, and I think it was approved according to Ken Rosenthal this morning. It's been approved that they are going, the Player Association approved the bubble format last night, but I believe the first round is going to be in the home ballparks. And so if I'm, I'm the Twins, and I don't know why, man, because there's not fans there, but if you look at what the Twins have done at home compared to the road, I want that first, those first potentially three games at home. 
But that being said, you're right. You're going to the playoffs. And and look, if that performance at the plate last night had been a consistently troublesome thing for two weeks, I'd be like, well, this is not a good time. But it was one game. It was sort of weird. I'll say this, because, Phil, you are right. The game itself didn't have consequence in the sense that these teams are going to uh, the playoffs. It was a fun game, though, as far as, especially with no fans, intensity went. Like, you could feel that. Well, I'll tell you what. I I like that our guys are um, approaching these games with that type of intensity. I think that's that's a good thing. Uh, We're playing a good team late in the season and a team that's uh, ahead of us in the standings. So I think that all makes a lot of sense. And, you know, this is a very unusual year where it feels like for most of the year, Everyone's just getting their footing and trying to figure out how things are going. But we're, we're further along in the year right now. And, you know, we should be, uh, you know, trying to do everything we can to get locked in in every way. Football. So on that front, what were your thoughts on the White Sox going into the season? And, well, I think, let me just speed past that. We all thought they were going to be good, but not as good as the Twins. Like, we all agreed on that. Yes. Now that you've seen almost two months of the White Sox, do you think they've arrived or do you think that they are just really hot over a two month stretch? Do you think they've arrived as one of the best teams in baseball? I think they're on their way there. Uh, I think they have issues at the plate. They can be monsters and it's fun to watch. All right. Pitching wise, I'm not completely sold on all of their pitching. Not a surprise, but here's the place where, where I, to me, they remind me a lot in some ways of the 2019 twins and I realize that the advanced statistics will contradict me, but I don't care. The eye test tells me differently. Defensively, this team has a ways to go, and this strikes me as the type of team that, that especially in that first round, could make a couple of just awful decisions and plays in the field that cost them. And I believe that the defensive metrics speak to the White Sox being an upper echelon team. Dude, I've watched them play the Twins too much. They're not. They're not. They have to, they, they're not, they've got some players who make really nice plays. They also have some players who are grossly irresponsible in the field. Um, so, do I think the White Sox are a complete team? Absolutely not. Offensively, I think they are a lot of fun. And I do believe that this team in the next four, five years is going to go neck and neck consistently in a normal season with the Twins, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I, I think I actually think they're, the way that you can divvy up their record this season kind of tells the story, and that they are eighteen and two against Detroit and Kansas City. Which Bravo, that's exactly what you should do against Detroit and Kansas City. The Twins have played basically five hundred baseball against Detroit and Kansas City. So the the White Sox are beating up on teams that you should beat up on. They should not have to apologize for that. They are under five hundred. They are thirteen and fourteen against the rest of Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not even something to really like have to apologize for either you so you go beat up on the terrible teams and play about 500 baseball against the best teams honestly the twins have been building their division championships off of a pretty similar formula for the last 20 years last year for sure so 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 that's one way to do it yep i think i think i, I think Luke, lucas giolito uh over the course of a full season is better than any pitcher the twins have and i think dylan cease even though he was really rough last night, I think that guy is going to be a stud, probably number two starting pitcher. So long-term, I really like what the White Sox have with their starting rotation. I would probably trade the Twins rotation for the next five years 
for the White Sox rotation. And Alex Colome has turned into one of the best closers in baseball. But there's a gap in the middle between like the fourth and the seventh innings where you get, you know, second, third time through the order against some of their starters. And you get the relievers that aren't named Alex Colome. And you should be able to do damage against this team. And so that's why I don't fear them quite as much. But they can also hang an eight spot on any starting pitcher in baseball and make life difficult even when you, uh, when you have a lineup as good as the Twins. Let's keep flying through here. Football. Your thoughts on Taylor Rogers? I'm. Oh. oh yeah, no, sound it, sound it. So he on the season, his his last fourteen outings, he was pretty good for his first three outings. He was a clean sheet for the first three outings. His last fourteen outings, he's allowed runs in six of them. So about half the outings he allows runs. Twelve and two thirds innings over that stretch. Twenty-two hits allowed and twenty-five base runners put on. So he's allowing, on average, the last month or so, mm-hmm. he's allowing, on average, two base runners per inning. Mm-hmm. Oh, my! My concern is huge because I think you need him, and, and Rocco certainly relies upon him. And now my fear is that, that I see this team getting to the playoffs, and at least at the start of, of the playoffs. And again, let's go back to the fact the first round, you can be done like that. Um, if they're relying on him, he doesn't seem to have it. And, and I don't know if, if this is a combination of things. Like, has the league figured him out to a certain degree? His stuff doesn't seem to be the same. And furthermore... If this can factor into the equation, his mojo seems to be completely gone. Like he looks flustered, he looks befuddled, he looks conf- how, how what's how- See, I feel like he just always looks the same for the last three years. I I there felt could be a fire in the clubhouse, and he'd just be standing. I there. felt like last year. <laughs> I felt like last year in in his own stoic way, there was a defiance about knowing that he was really good. He blinks. He blinks a little bit more often when he's feeling good about himself. And I feel like now in watch in watching him, there is a definite loss of of uh, confidence. But that's number three because one and two are. It, it really appears that the league has gone a long way toward figuring him out, which is very important. And number two, it just doesn't look the same. The stuff does not look the same. So, yes, if there is one thing, if we were to do a pie chart of concern going into the playoffs right now, just stop things right now, I think my number one, Taylor Rogers. Okay, I I wasn't going to bring this up today, but do it. I'm going to bring this up. Okay. All right. So he's been... Super hittable. Everything you just said. I don't know if I agree with the body language because I just think he's a cyborg who never shows body language. But um, I don't think you can trust him going forward, knowing what you know about the last month or so. I just don't think you can trust him going into some key playoff games here, like three game series, Yankees, whoever you face. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I just don't want the game on the line with with this version of Taylor Rogers. Okay. Now I would trust him situationally, now you have to face three batters or come in toward the end of an inning. I would I would trust him against left-handed hitters, and you don't really have a lot of left-handed relievers in your bullpen. You got you basically have Caleb Thielbar, who's been surprisingly great for the Twins. Right. And that's kind of it. Like, you don't have another go-to lefty that you trust. So what if you had Taylor Rogers and Caleb Thielbar? You could leverage, like, if there's two out of three hitters that are lefties in the lineup, you could bring those guys in, leverage their strength right now. And you find a new closer. 
And I'm not talking about Tyler Duffy because I want Tyler Duffy as my firefighter. He hasn't been quite as great. I want Tyler Duffy in the tie game, in the one-run game, in the seventh inning is necessary, all right? Yep. What if Jorge Alcala was your ninth inning guy? Hot Take Cops is recorded on location with the men and women of Sports Talk. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in Hot Take Court. Didn't license registration, please? Wait, wait! Didn't I tell? Think about it. Didn't I tell you three weeks to a month ago that I was on the Alcala train? That the you 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 were a passenger. You were a passenger. I'm now driving it. No, just so I know. But you told me. But (laughs) you told me that he doesn't know where his stuff is going. That you thought he'd be good eventually. Neither does Taylor Rogers. No, I know that. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not trying to apprehend you. I'm saying that I told you a month ago, I think this stuff plays. I was getting all defensive there. No, no, I think this stuff absolutely plays. Here's my question about Rocco, Falvey, and company in the first round. And it's an honest question. And I know what the answer has to be, but I don't know what the answer is from them. Do you have the ability to hurt feelings badly? Of people you like, you have to be willing to. I agree with you completely, but it's not. But I'm not. I'm not debating what I just said with you. I'm saying it's my question. Taylor Rogers, Phil, you are. I think you're a thousand percent right. And it could be Alcala. It could. I don't know. It could be Duffy in their mind. I don't know. But they've got to be willing to hurt his feelings. Who do you trust more right now? Heart of the White Sox lineup. All right. So you you got to face. Let's just say I, I'm trying That's to get the order. order. Yeah, you got to face uh, Luis Robert, oh, and you got to you got to face Yon Moncada, Abre- Tim Anderson, Abreu, Jimenez, and Encarnacion. Or let's say t- let's put Tim Anderson. Robert bats Robert bats seventh by yeah, the way. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, what's Tim Anderson? The number two hitter? Uh, no, he's their leadoff. Leadoff yeah, hitter he leads now? off and, and leads the league in batting average right now. So let's say it's like any combination of like their first five hitters, and you just like whichever three you're coming up. Who do you trust right now? In a in a tie game or Twins are leading by one run, it's the ninth inning, and you're facing the three hottest hitters in that lineup, and and you can turn to Taylor Rogers, yep, or you can turn to Jorge Alcala, right now. And I'm not talking about career track record. I'm not talking about Taylor Rogers a year ago. Right now, let's give let's, let's give not, both night tomorrow. It's not going to be close. It's Alcala. It's not even close. Like if I was to rank the bullpen right now, Rogers not in my top three. And so is he going to get right in the next two weeks to where you'd feel great again? That can happen. Like, he could find a groove. And if you, if it's funny. If you look at his peripherals, like his strikeouts to walks are fine. I know, and that's and being his velocity's up. not terrible. I know. He's just like, you could you could make the case analytically that he has fallen victim to batted ball, bad luck. But the eye test to me would show that guys are squaring him up. Like, guys are hitting sharp balls down the line. But what about that one that, you know, that... That inning a week and a half ago, yeah, well, one of those balls was like a towering fly ball that landed on the warning track and left. Well, it was a pop-up that almost went out for a home run. Yeah, no. So sometimes right. the batted ball luck thing can be, yes. some of us baseball nerds can be like, well, it's you know, there's going to be an adjustment of batted ball luck, or he's just getting pounded. It helps to watch games. His breaking ball is helps. not as sharp as it was from my eye test last year. The Alcala thing, I sort of have to admit I love. Because the stu- the kid stuff plays, man. So not to mention, like you could, 
Now, the Rodgers feelings thing would be, that would be a thing. Like, you'd have to. I know, and they don't like to do that. But then stop giving up runs every other time you come out. Right. It's not that hard of a formula. Explain this on on his outing last night. The 0-2 pitch to Anderson with with nobody out that ended up being a double to left. That was a terrible pitch. Yeah, he's thrown a bunch of those this year. But, I mean, that's to a guy who, as Dex just said, leads the league in hitting and is damn good, and you know that, and that's the pitch you're going to give him? I mean, I listen, I'm not saying that Jorge Alcala is, like, the solution to all the Twins' back end of the bullpen problems here, but right now, the guy that has a better chance to just come in and get a bunch of swings and misses is Jorge Alcala, and he might just be young enough and naive enough to not get swallowed up by the moment. It I feels think, like he goes out there with blinders on and just throws the ball. Oh, I think he to, does, to, yes. To name a bunch of baseball cliches in one sentence. Yes, he, <laughs> yes, he does. He doesn't, um, I, I think he comes in from the bullpen, looks up to the sky, talks to God briefly, and then just throws the baseball. And now, it's worth noting, most of his outings this season have come in like low pressure, twins are down by three in the sixth inning, and he comes in, and so he ha- he hasn't had a lot of the game tied. Twins are up by one, got to throw strikes. That would be a different scenario. But since these games don't really matter that much over the next two weeks, mm-hmm. I would look for opportunities to put him in some high pressure situations just to see how he reacts. I'm like last night was. Yep, just see what happens. Put him out there in the one eighth down. inning of a one-run game when you're leading. Absolutely. And see if he throws strikes. And if he does, now maybe you trust him a little bit more in that first-round series against the Yankees. I'm maybe, just saying. Maybe uh, you should have traded for Josh Hader. No no, 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 no. That price tag was way too high. Also, no way. I'm not concerned about him, but like Tyler Duffy hasn't been lights out the last six games either. His last six appearances, opponents have an 827 OPS against him. He has a 4.5 ERA. He has issued six walks. Like the, walks these, are, the walks are kind of a problem. They're, they're, they're kind of concerning. And these two dudes are the most, I would think, or what I thought going into the season, the most indispensable guys out of your bullpen. And they've essentially, one's been pretty much unplayable, and the other one's been suspect. So you need these two dudes to hopefully figure it out soon, because they are the most important pieces in your bullpen. I will say this about Alcala, too, okay? Just one last thing on him. Think about how many teams throughout the last 10 or 15 years in baseball, and like the, the Royals have had this, and um, I know that the... Michael Waka was sort of this for the Cardinals like 10 years ago. But how many times mm-hmm. a young guy comes up? I mean, K-Rod like 15 years ago came out of nowhere in 2000, the 2003 playoffs, right? All of a sudden the Angels had like the best reliever in baseball randomly joined them in September. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to give a 21 or a 22, 23-year-old kid a shot late in the season to show that he can perform in these situations. And Alcala, the Twins acquired him. I believe they acquired him in the in the Ryan Presley trade, and they acquired him to eventually pitch in games and situations that matter just like this. So why not now? Just I'm just throwing it out there. I'm All right, it, just throwing it out. On the Duffy front too, playoff wise, I need him to calm down a little bit. I need the drama to sort of stop. Uh, this this uh, I threw a bad pitch and now I'm going to scream at myself. On that doesn't play when the pressure is high. There's nothing good about that. Like he gets frazzled. He loves drama. He's a drama king. Like, just, call, dude, you're really good. It's going to be fine. He he made his uh, work last night, the inning that he pitched. I felt he made it so much more difficult than it had to be. Yeah, there were some blips, but he's melting down. At one point, he slips. I get it. But you know what? If the mound sucks, dude, call the grounds crew out and get him out there to fix the mound. It's just like... Take a deep breath and calm down because it doesn't help you to melt down at yourself as much as you do. And I don't want to see that in the playoffs. Yeah, before we get to our friend Jay Williams here, one more thing for you guys. 
right. It, it turned out to not really matter at all in the outcome of the game because the Twins needed another run. They should have had two runs last night. So Byron Buxton hits that ball to left field. Eloy. Eloy Jimenez, the ball kind of tips off his glove, and, and so the ball then rolls to the base of the fence and mm-hmm. stops because mm-hmm. it, it hits the fence. Yes. And Eloy doesn't even try to pick it up at first. He just throws his hands in the air. Oh, the ball's lodged. The ball's lodged. <laughs> and Byron Buxton wisely says, all right, well, I'll just keep circling the bases, get my inside the park home run, and now we're down by one. And then Eloy sort of panics. He's like, ah, okay. And then he goes and picks it up easily because it's literally sitting on the warning track, throws it in. And I thought if you – if he were to stand out there with his hands up and an umpire comes out, that's his only shot at mm-hmm. at, at the rule like applying, right? That it's sure. lodged in the fence. Sure. When he goes and picks up the ball, yeah, that's it. Why is it even a discussion after that? How, how are they going? How are they able to review that? And then how is that overturned in that situation? Well, Please help me. And why why are the replay people in New York making the decision on a play that the umpires are watching live? He picked up the ball, and the ball wasn't lodged. <laughs> the ball was not lodged. I. That that was that was a Rosario esque egregious mistake, mm-hmm. and good for Buxton. And they never killed the play too. That's right. that's the thing is once you don't kill the play, why are you going to replay to kill the play? It's so weird. It was very bizarre. So someone sent this. I think I don't know if this is exact verbiage from the rule book, but lodged baseball section in the rule book per rule five point oh five a seven. A ball is considered lodged if, in the judgment of the umpire, the natural trajectory of the flight of the ball is interrupted long enough to affect further play. A batted ball that sticks in the fence, scoreboard, shrubbery at Wrigley, or vines located on the playing field should be considered a lodged ball. Likewise, a ball that goes behind a field tarp or wall padding without leaving the playing field should also be considered lodged. A lodged ball occurs anytime the momentum of the rolling ball is stopped abruptly or sticks, or is stuck under the fence padding. So that's that's the part of this rule we're talking about. Yes. If you go look, like he literally just went and picked up the ball. It was just sitting on the warning track. Yeah. Now there's a second part of this that says how easily a ball might be retrieved by the fielder should not factor in, which is ludicrous. You're telling me if a ball is just sitting on the warning track, it doesn't matter how easy, like he should be forced to make an attempt to grab the ball first. And then if he can't grab the ball, well, then maybe we can discuss it being a ground rule double. And it's the it's um, so stupid. It's the umpire's discretion. If Eloy Jimenez looks at that ball and says, "Kill the play," and the umpire says, "Okay, I'll kill the play," that's one thing. They didn't do that. But here's the rule: just rewrite the rule. If you can see it, you play it. Like ball goes into Ivy at Wrigley. I can't find the baseball. Ground rule double. But since when is you know ball ball basically hits base offense? And partially is lodged, but I can easily see that ball and pick that ball up. Why does that need to be a ground rule double? Yeah, it's uh, it was it was mind numbing. And like by that point in the game, you've already watched the Twins whiff on. I oh. think I think Buxton was the fifteenth runner stranded because he stood there on. And second we did basement. get Angel. Angel Hernandez was in full effect. How many times did that you see the, a ball that was, was the, very clearly outside God. the zone? And Angel just has, he he's unwilling to adapt to the electronic strike zone parameters that they are judged on. And probably Justin Morneau with a with yep. a great job a couple of times pointing out in these big at bats like Nelson Cruz had one where he takes a pitch inside it's very clearly inside Nelson Cruz has has been around long enough he winces at the call the next pitch is outside it should have been two and zero oh with the bases loaded instead it's one and one that matters and Justin Morneau was on his A game people say that he talks too much. I think he's great. Do you guys think he talks too much? Just he's fine. 
He's absolutely fine. And and again, I'd rather he, tells you, he tells you things you don't know, which I care about. But Angel, both ways last night. And man, you cannot, how you keep your job if you're that guy and are allowed to call balls and strikes to this day, I have no clue. That's amazing. Um, yeah, electronic strike zones, please, as, as soon as possible. All right. Mackie and Joe, we'll get to old tweets exposed. Uh, we'll get to some Vikings discussion. But let's bring him in. It's, it's every Tuesday on the show here. Jay Williams, our friend. <laughs> From ESPN Radio, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. You can find it here in the Twin Cities on Score North on AM 1500 from 5 to 9 a.m. And you must be a man that is preparing for basketball heaven tonight, Jay Williams. We get a Game 7. We get Heat Celtics Game 1. Are you are you kicking your feet up? What's happening tonight? Kicking my feet up. I feel like uh, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're in unprecedented times between, I mean, the last five days, U.S. Open and tennis. MLB and baseball, I mean, the full baseball season going on, uh, NBA playoffs, NFL games, Sunday, Monday night games going into late, college football happening. I mean, we're really I, – I don't get any time to pick my feet up. I'm going to need a vacation <laughs> after this damn pandemic is over. I'm going to need to go somewhere where there isn't COVID. Margarita, <laughs> Good luck. That's what I need, guys. <laughs> Good luck, man. Hey, so so rank your top three. So if if – you could just watch three of these sports. How do you rank them? Well, I, I got to go basketball first and sure. foremost. I mean, that's just that's my sport. That's the sport I played growing up. I love it. Uh, football is definitely second. And I, I'll tell you guys, man, like I, I thoroughly, the big events, Masters, the Open for golf, I thoroughly, and I don't know if it's because now I, I have kids and I enjoy, like, my kids leave me alone. My wife leaves me alone. I can sit on the couch for a couple of hours, it's quiet. The screen is quiet. I get a chance to hear Jim Nance's voice, you know, or SVP. People are whispering. I just really enjoy the peaceful and quietness of golf. So maybe golf number three. Yes. Hello, friends. Yeah, slow it down. Hello, you friends. Like, Pour a cocktail. Yeah. And, little uh, golf talk from Jay Will. Jay, Jay, Give us some Jay golf Jay Williams talk. talking about babbling brooks and azaleas. Yes. <laughs> Brooks, I love it. You guys should just do just do an hour in gymnast hushed voices during the opening round of the Masters here in a month. Just just sit there. Johnson with the great read here, Justin Johnson. Yeah, Brooks slightly right to left. It, that's, that's heaven to me, guys. That's heaven to me. And I always assume like like who's the daddy something? She's always at least for like thirty years. She's just been like you know in the weeds. It, it, always, it, it, it always sounds like if you're a sideline reporter in golf, you're always like hiding in the bushes. Like, okay, it looks well, like a six iron here. How'd you get in there? I've been here the whole year, Jim. Just been hey, hiding. Can I ask you guys a question? Sure. Seriously, what the hell happened on Sunday? I mean, Devontae Adams is good. But, I mean, like a career high in receptions, 156 yeah. yards, two TDs. I know Aaron Rodgers is good. I know he's damn good. But that aerial attack? I mean, defense of 522 yards. Um, What's going on? Jay Will, this was a case of a coach who's really good ordinarily at coaching defense, thinking that his uh, remade defense can execute things that they were simple, simply incapable of doing. And I'm sure that, that you've, you've seen coaches get a little bit haughty before in your time. This starts with that. I mean, it's just, it, it's, you know, Keyshawn, I've been debating this the whole time. You know, and his whole thing was like, well, 
you know, who's Aaron Rodgers going to throw the ball to? And it was like, well, you look down the, the roster, I'm like, well, Devontae Adams, but then, I mean, it seems like they're limited with options here. And then you talk about Minnesota being, you know, obviously having that style defense and really putting their, their stamp on that. And, and I don't know, it's interesting. Like, you always bounce back week two. It's just I feel like getting a, a head start and getting a good start this season more so than anything because who knows what's going to react as it relates to COVID and if teams, you know, how they deal with that. It's um, you just wish they got off to a better start. So this uh, this was part of my theory, and and I think Judd and Declan here thought that I was maybe just scapegoating the Vikings a little bit too much here. But when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, and I know that people are saying he's not the same guy as he was five years ago, and that's that's probably accurate. But it doesn't mean he's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like he's he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and and so you give him basically a comfortable home environment with no fans in the stands. Ordinarily, you'd have 70,000 screaming maniac Vikings fans. And if you're a quarterback, a lot of your success offensively is based on what you see at the line of scrimmage. How do you communicate at the last second to your linemen, to your weapons, right? If you want to change something at the line of scrimmage on the road, you have to use hand signals and a silent snap count and all those things that we sort of take for granted when watching a team play at home. Aaron Rodgers was probably more comfortable in an empty stadium, basically like running seven-on-seven drills like you would see in training camp. And I think that's a big thing to watch this season is how these guys who are established are able to just work the line of scrimmage with no fans to to bother them, Jay. I agree with you, man. It, it seemed like the Vikings' pass rush literally looked anemic. <laughs> I, it, when, you, when, when you start getting all these stats and we get all these stats that are filled to us during the game and you're watching it and you see it in real time, you're like, oh, okay, he was only pressured – on just seven of his 44 dropbacks? Yeah. Just seven? Like, if, if you give any quarterback, yet alone one of the greatest quarterbacks you've ever seen, regardless of whatever his age is, that amount of time in the pocket, he's going to dice you up. It gives, it gives no chance to your secondary and your young cornerbacks. Exactly right. Uh, so how, how weird across the, the board, too, so baseball, basketball, football, how weird do you think, uh, Jay, it, it is for guys – and? How long do you think it takes to adapt to play in front of of no fans? Because I I will say this, I've gone to a bunch of Twins games and it was weird at first, but it was very very quick. And then I was like, okay, the piped in noise works here. Uh, football wise, I don't think I will ever adapt to being at a football game with no fans. It's like being at a a youth game. It's just so bizarre. You know, baseball is interesting to me. Growing up a Yankees fan and going to a lot of games in the tri-state area, New Jersey, Subway Series, and things of that sort. I mean, it, it was it was loud when we get into playoffs, but baseball, for the most part, isn't that loud unless something incredible happens, right? So I can see for baseball, you're kind of easing into that because that atmosphere is somewhat similar unless you get to deep in the playoffs World Series. Football, I, you know, hearing the point that you guys just made at the line of scrimmage to make those adjustments, not using hand signals, uh, I know for me, for football and basketball, it is absurd. It's the most awkward thing. And I'll even tell you, as it relates to basketball, I can't tell you guys how many times fans got me motivated for for games. I mean, even think about last night watching the late-night Monday night football game, right? If, if you're talking about Gaskowski kicking those field goals, now he's going to be in the Hall of Famer, and he, he missed a lot of field goals last night, obviously, and an extra point. But it, it's like – Hearing the fans, like, that helps you focus your attention. If anything, it's like two, two horse blinders that are coming on my eyes that are fixating myself on my, my target. 
every single time. And that's what shooting a free throw is like with fans. Like the louder you yell, the more I, the more I focus in, hmm. the sharper my attention is. And not having that now means that players have to manufacture their own energy. And I think that's really difficult for players to do. I mean, look what happened to the Clippers. The Clippers go into a game seven with the Denver Nuggets tonight. And they've had double-digit leads on the back ends of both halves, right? Both second halves, 16-point lead, 19-point lead. And they can't manufacture their own energy to close out those games. And a lot of times, if you're on the road, you're going to do that. Or if you're at home, your fans are pushing you to do that one way or the other. That's interesting. So I think you know, Judd and I, when we played sports in middle school, uh, our expertise ended there. So speak, speak for yourself. Think, I've got no expertise. I think we. I think we just assume that. Well, there's if there's twenty thousand screaming fans or fifty thousand screaming fans, and like a kicker might get more nervous or his heart might be you know racing a little bit more and. It's got to be calming to have nobody. But you're saying because you get so used to having that buzz and that energy that it throws you off. Well, that's my calming effect, right? So it's funny now. When I go to the gym and I get, I get shots, when I'm taking free throws, like, I'll try to play music. I'll try to do something that actually gets me to stay focused. Because when it's, when it's quiet, and I have this, I have ADHD, right? Like it, it, it kicks in. Full gear. It kicks in. I'm like, what? Somebody just whisper to me, "What is that over there? Why? Why are his sneakers, you know, screeching on the floor? Why is he? Why is he cracking his knuckles? Like my brain is just so not focused on what it needs to be focused on because it is quiet. I, and granted, I think for everybody, you can treat things differently. But I know for sure when you're used to being in the midst of chaos, you're actually more calmed if you're used to being in that chaos because that chaos is your norm. All right. Jay, question off the game that you broached, which was last night's second game on ESPN uh, between the Titans and the Broncos. Do you have any plausible, and I'm sure you discussed this a bunch on the show, any plausible explanation as to why boneheaded Vic Fangio would allow would allow the Titans, but but I, but ordinarily ordinarily in terms of clock management, there are things that I'll be like, okay, that that is a little bit confusing, and it's a bad decision, but you know, but in real time, it's tough. But as the Titans are going down the field, I'm on my couch, half asleep, thinking, well, you got to start calling timeouts, don't you? I, do you have any explanation for what the hell this man was thinking? We literally were yelling at the TV, Key and I. We were talking about defensive coordinators that become head coaches and their lack of ability to manage the clock. I mean, even pre-2019 Andy Reid to a degree, you know, the struggle with that. And it was funny last night watching the game, you know, really going in and out. I woke up during that juncture of the game because I thought I was dreaming. (laughs) I thought I was dreaming. Now, I have to wake up every day at 2.35 in the morning, guys. Like, you can imagine a game that starts at 10.30. Yeah. It's, it's late as hell. I'm watching the game. I think I'm dreaming. I'm like, oh, no, I didn't call a timeout. No, he's not going to call. He's not going to call a timeout. And I literally go on my phone. I'm like, just let me see if this is actually happening in real time. And I just saw Twitter going absolutely crazy. And then to end the game with two timeouts in your pocket, in your pocket, and it gives you 17 seconds left, in order to move the ball down the field instead of having a minute left, um, you know, that, look, for a guy who's coached in the league for over 30 years, that was one of the worst things I've seen in the history of the NFL. Well, it is uh, – I, I don't think that's even a hot take. Because I, but it, Vic Fangio is the latest 
if for sure in the in the football sense, the latest football coach victim to just not having some twenty year old Madden player standing next to him. To, like that's what they should do. Like get some get a video game player who understood who plays a hundred games a day and understands you know end of game theory and say. All right, when should I call timeouts? Which I'll worry about the scheme. I'll worry about, you know, the locker room, the energy. You tell me when to call timeout. Another, I mean, is another that, victim. Is that, the, is that the byproduct of not having, like, a Bob Miller, you know, like, it, it enabled it, like, to say, hey, look, or just a leader of an organization yeah. that could say, what are you doing that is not afraid yeah. to challenge a head coach? Because that's what you need in that situation. And we see that all the time in basketball. Key and I were talking about he sees that in football. You know, your best player can just pull the ear to coach. What the hell are we doing? And you, you kind of need that. There needs to be a yin and the yang, and maybe because they didn't have that yang last night, maybe that's why. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't explain the unexplainable. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, that's that's Jay we Williams. Tried. Thanks, Jay. It's been fun having him on. Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Zubin, five to nine a.m. here Central Time on Score North in the and Twin don't Cities. Worry, guys, I'm sure thousands of people were yelling at you when you were playing middle school sports. It's the same thing, guys. You guys can relate. Yeah, I know I, you feel it. I was too. I was too insecure thinking about my. My T-shirt under my jersey. I kept stats, Jay. I just decided, you know what? I got no future. I'm going to keep stats. And, and pass judgment on those who do play because it's much easier. As well. I like that. I like that strategy. It works out well, my friend. All right. See you, Jay. We'll see talk ya. next week, All man. Right. All right. Jay Williams from ESPN Radio there. It's, uh, hmm. it's been great. He was all in on the Babbling Brook. Babbling Brook. I didn't know he was a golf guy. It's awesome. Uh, I feel like there's a certain age you reach in life. It, it, this didn't happen as much for Judd, but like once you hit the age of like 30, you're right. just like wide open for golf to come into your life. Just I, sit there on a Sunday. I have been playing so much more this last year, and I've been watching a lot more too. And I'm 27, so I'm on the I'm on the downhill slide here, the 20s. So I'm I'm entering that territory is what I'm trying to say. You play a little bit. I do play. I play a little out. bit. Yeah, play a little bit. I just got some new irons. Looking, to, looking nice. to see if I can still shoot 95, 100 or more uh, with a new set of clubs. I broke great. 50 a couple weeks ago and le- on, on nine, and uh, it was a pretty good feeling. Good so pretty you, good feeling. So you have, do you ever play 18, or do you mostly just play nine? I mostly play nine, but I can play 18. So, play so the goal Smart would be man. to break to break 100 for you yes. over 18? Yes, it would be. Make that happen. Smart man. All right. Um, Mackie and Judd, and uh, we appreciate Jay Williams every Tuesday joining our show to to break down various things in the sports world. You know, it was a new experience, I guess, for a lot of those guys coming in there. And, you know, there were some good things. You know, I thought our protection was pretty good for the most part. Uh, you know, it was nice to see Kirk uh, move in the pocket a few times. You know, the second half offensively, I thought we played really well, uh, moved the ball pretty good, scored some touchdowns, got some two-point conversions. There's always, like every game, there's some good and some bad. Football. All right, uh, Mike Zimmer, you uh, you heard from him. And real, real quick here, uh, you brought up Vic Fangio with Jay Williams, and it sparked a new segment idea for us every single week. And I think we should start by crowning Vic Fangio our buffoon coach of the week Football. in the NFL. Give him a round of applause, too. Congratulations. Yeah, hold on a second. Congratulations to Vic Fangio. You, by not calling any timeouts late in the game, are the buffoon coach of the week in the NFL. Don't. Nice job. The competition was fierce, too, because Matt Patricia tried up, what, 24 to 6 or something like that? Blew the lead to the Bears. Classic. Uh, Bill O'Brien. I mean, come on. You trade DeAndre Hopkins because you're the GM, and then you lose your first game. There was some competition here, but Vic Fangio, man, he watched it. He was more a spectator of that game than I was, and I was 
on my couch I mean, in St. Louis Park. Your first, like you, you were kind of worked up about this before we took the microphones today. I said your first problem is you're expecting a guy named Vic Fangio and to I, have like an intellectual approach to did I not tell you that you were right? Okay? Did, did I not just say just you know saying. what? Good point. Yep. So uh, congratulations, Vic Fangio. You are the buffoon coach of the week in the NFL. Randy in Cottage Grove, I have to ask, how do you keep getting our production numbers? I I, I know some people. Right, but like we don't take calls on the show because we pre-record this yeah. as a podcast and uh, and also for YouTube. And so there's really no way that you could possibly know which numbers that we use in these production rooms. It's not the same well, numbers as we used to use. I'll tell you what, I, I just, if you know people, you know, it's uh it, you just keep you, you trade secrets. You know you don't you don't reveal uh, you don't uh, you know uh, I'm not you know no reveal sources. Sort of a just uh, just mm-hmm. gonna go with what I got. And the guy answers, and I said, people want to hear what I what I have to share. And uh, and uh, well, first of all, though, I, I don't know why you're talking a mess about Fangio. He's a he's a great coach. He, uh, Fangio has coached a lot more football than any of you guys. That's the pro- that might be the problem. Yeah, I think so. I think he's sort of forgotten a like lot it? about like Andrew, timeouts. Andrew is a, he's a good football guy. He's been in the league a long time. Vic, Vic you're okay, but uh, I'll tell you who's not okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's the Vikes. Uh oh. That uh, you like that? Was, you like that? It was a piss uh, piss poor effort on uh, on Sunday. I was I in the middle of the game during the game. Immediately crossed off the one word on my notepad and said stud stable. And immediately it became, this is going to be a dud stable game. I can tell. And uh, mm-hmm. we were at, uh, of course, at the bar. As, uh, no one can go to the games. That, that's part of the problem. Hopefully uh, you were properly socially distanced, Randy. With a mask on, Randy. Yeah, okay. You know what? I'm going to cut loose. Go ahead and, and play the, the Dutch oh, table yeah. music. Sure. Okay. No All right. Uh, okay. This is, we'll fire up the production here. Yeah. Uh, this is Randy in Cottage Grove with his dud stable of the week. Yeah, it was going to go right into it because the, the, no, you know, a lot of lot of different things went into play in this loss. Embarrassing, needless, a needless loss. Didn't have to happen. We're going to go ahead and start out with some duds from week one against the Packers. I'm going to look at a guy who should have been out there, who should have been playing, who needs to suit up and, and, and gut up, nut up. This is a Daniel Hunter. Get, get, get your ass in the field. It's a whole different team when you're out there. I mean, whole, proceed, whole pr- pr- derail you, but procedurally, he can't, he's, he, can't. He's, he can't for three weeks. He's on the injured reserve list. You're ripping him what, for. Whose decision was that? Because they're a dud, too. Whose decision was that? I guarantee you, Hunter's a beast. He wants to be out there. Whoever put him on that list, also a dud. Is it is it a sugar man? He's a dud. It probably would be sugar man. The sugar he's man. A, he's yeah. a dud. Okay, that's two duds. Love his career. Here's a guy. Here's excuse me. Nothing, Randy. Go ahead. You are on a roll. Don't stop. <laughs> here's, an, here's another guy who who is nowhere out there. Nowhere to be seen. I don't know where he was at all. I'm talking about the new guy. Uh, in Gakwe, Yannick Gakwe, where were you? I, I, I didn't see him anywhere. 
I thought we 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 made a big time for another bookend rusher. He didn't do squat. Yannick Ngakwe, you're a dud. I think he had an ankle injury. Yeah, apparently he had an ankle injury, Randy. So come a little slack. Let's let him go, Randy. Keep going. More duds. I'm going to continue to focus on the defense. Trey Wayne's, where were you? See you at. I didn't see you make one play. You know, and why isn't he out there? Instead, you've got Holton Hill. I can't even tackle. He's a sieve. Do you want to tell him? The defensive no. effort was yeah. a defensive okay. effort. Good point. Trey Wayne's, you're a dud. I agree. He was, he was terrible in that game. Literally invisible. And, 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 and shame on Zim. Shame on you, Zim, for taking a team that had an embarrassment of riches in the secondary and thinking you could cash in on some rookies, on some on some unproven guys. Put Wayne's on the field. Zim, you're a dud. And then the last, the last dud, and this is the biggest dud of all, Jim Walls. You got to open up that stadium, Walls. They got fans in KC. They got fans other places. You open it up. We have no advantage. No advantage. You, you think the defense always did it on its own? We were rowdy, and we were loud, and we would yell and cuss, and we'd be drinking before the game. We'd be drinking before the game, during the game, and even more after the game. And we're rowdy, and we're loud, and it's the toughest place to play in the NFL, and not anymore. Because Tim Walls, Tim Walls, you're a dud. Open it up. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. No, no, we don't, no byplay there at the no. end. He's just gonna. No, I could make the argument that Trey Waynes was the best player in the team uh, for the Vikings yesterday <laughs> on Sunday. What would have been better, Holton Hill in coverage, or or just like the shadow of Trey Waynes? I, I think you make the case it might have been the shadow. Randy's got a really good point about Walls. Because, you know, he did not stop anybody all day on Sunday either. Former high school football coach. And they blitzed him a lot, Mm. and he never got home. I would have taken his advice. Who would have been better interior defensive line getting pressure up the middle of Aaron Rodgers? Tim Walls. Tim Walls, probably? Yeah, Tim Walls. No question about it. He does ruffle feathers, so, I mean, he could ruffle quarterback's feathers. I I could see it. Mm. I feel like Mm. Walls would would resort to probably cheap shots as well, which is absolutely fine Mm. to try and, you know. Interesting. Try and get to the quarterback. Well, that was Randy and Cottage Grove's dud stable of the week here. He has been, by the way, of late prolific on the Twitter machine. Yeah, oh, really? he's been Randy a has there. been on fire. I, I offered to edit his tweets at one point. That's a tall task. And no, no. And I was I was ba- basically the rest of Twitter batted me down and told me to what, shut up. What's more likely, Randy and Cottage Grove tweets something with no grammatical errors or Taylor Rogers gets to an inning unscathed one, two, three between now and October 1st? I thought I was going to be included in that list for a minute, but yeah. <laughs> oh, Randy. Randy. Yeah, yeah, Not, yeah. I've, I've lost all faith in Taylor. Correct. I think Randy's got a little bit of a chance, maybe. I mean, he might he might accidentally stumble upon a correct there or you are your. Because he's just, it's just roulette every time. 100%. Yeah, for sure. Spinning the wheel, baby. Yeah. So, all right. Well, hopefully Randy can deliver a stud stable at some point, but it's not looking up for the Vikings after that week one defense performance. A quick shout out to PodMN. PodMN is a brand new app free to download in the Apple and Google Play stores that allows you to discover Minnesota podcasts. If you've ever wondered, I wonder if there's just more local audio content out there, sports, whatever it may be, news, Mm -hmm. storytelling, PodMN is brand new. PodMN.com to find out more or just download it for free. 
and listen to and discover local Minnesota podcasts, PodMN. All right, welcome in to Old Tweets Exposed. Gentlemen, every Tuesday, Declan Goff goes back into the Twitter archives. Judd and I have been tweeting since 2009. A lot of Vikings training camp tweets to start our Twitter feeds. And uh, Declan has been tweeting since uh, probably like the 2012 range, somewhere in there. 11-12. And there's a lot of incriminating things to go dig up on Twitter, and Declan does that every week. So let's pull the band-aid off. All right. We have a uh, new record on old tweets exposed. Didn't know this would happen this quickly, but it happened last night from Judd Zolgad at 924 on September 14th, 2020. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The Twins have left eight men on base. Yes. Drawn seven walks. Have to feel runs are coming. <laughs> runs how, never came. how are they not coming? How are they not? You know what? Is that oh, my is hilarious. that my fault that a team once known as the Bomba Squad had eleven home runs in the three games before Monday night? Is well, is it my fault that they this, couldn't deliver? Is the quickest turn on nine twenty four p.m. last night, and it makes old hours. tweets well, you, exposed. You also could, could have taken, as I talked about on the Monday show, either of my tweets from Saturday night when I tweeted that it was great that Buxton was no longer crashing into walls and getting hurt, and then he eventually did. Or I tweeted that um, that Jeffers should replace Ostadia in the last two innings of each game, and he did, and, and had a pass ball. There's like seriously in the last. What would that be? Seventy-two hours or so. There's like three tweets of mine that have blown up. Not it's amazing. Goodbye. And Declan undersold this because he told us before the show. He's like, I don't know. Old tweets exposed. I don't know if I. I didn't really get any good ones. You you pulled one from last night. <laughs> I, I, fed, I fed it to him, man. I fed it to him. I put it. It couldn't have been any easier for and him. And the best yeah, part is, like great. you said, this and the Twins were only halfway through their left on base journey. Yeah. I think it was fifteen. I think it was Nelson Cruz at the plate at the time too. It was like halfway through the game, and Nelson Cruz, I think, was up. I mean, Nelson Cruz left how many guys on last night? I, was it ten? I think it was, I thought it was twelve. I thought it was. He had the bases juiced at least twice. Do we have a so that's that's box six. score to show us. Um, Look at the score. Oh, you got your thirty dollars scorebook yeah, for real. Isn't there a left on base section there for he you? He had two men on in the third and hit into a double play. Okay, two. Uh, and then he had um, a man on, or no, no, he was intentionally walked, so that's zero, because yeah. he struck out with the bases loaded. Five. So five. And then he grounded out with the bases loaded. Eight. So eight. He left eight guys on. Eight did, of the did he, he didn't come up again with runners on base? No. That, Woof. That would, that would have been it first night. But anyway, Ooh. I fed it to you, man. Amazing. All right. Old tweets exposed. It's, not, it's a new tweet. Really relatively old tweets. new tweet yeah. that was exposed. Recent tweets exposed. Badly. All right. Speaking of uh, bad twins takes, I will self-report here. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll get the date here for you. Uh, but this was from a Score North audiogram on March 9th, and we were uh, going over who's the most indispensable player on the twins. Oh, man. I said it was Taylor Rogers, who now <laughs> has an ERA north of five. His OPS is over 1,000 in his last 12 games. He uh, can't get anyone out. This was tweeted on March 9th, 2020. Go, wow. back, go back to your tweet for a second, too, because you didn't just tweet that it was him. You tweeted easily. 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 I love the easily. 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 So you threw in the... Easily, the, is, is, is it necessary to even use the word? No. E? Like, do you have to use no. the word? No, but he's doubling down. Yes. So easily, easily, Rogers. He's, he's like... So it's a no-brainer. So the best part about this tweet is, is it, it's not only right now grossly wrong, but the best part about this tweet is... is he doubles down, right? Easily, Rogers. Easily. So easily. And then asks, but what are you morons yeah. at? Who do you got? 
Who do you got? Who, uh, you who do you got? Inferior minds. And if you don't have Rodgers, you're easily an idiot. Oh, God. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Adam Johnson said Rodgers. And uh, Ron Rubin what? said Jose Barrios. So... Yeah, it's so indispensable. They've both been garbage. Well, Brios yeah. hasn't been garbage, yeah, but and the Twins are eleven games over five hundred without them. Basically, what? think about that: the Twins are eleven games over five hundred, and their closer can't figure it out, and has given up runs in half of his outings over the last five weeks or so. So once they put Jorge Alcala in that spot, right, seems really going to take off. Right. All right. What do we right. got? What do we got on Mackie? All right, Phil. This is not a Twins take. Uh-oh. I try to find a th- I would try to find a theme. So I try to find a theme for all three of us. It, it didn't work. So I think that's why I thought this wouldn't be a great addition. This is Phil Mackey on April 11th, 2018. (laughs) I love Jimmy Butler. Now, there might have been some facetiousness probably behind this a little bit. Maybe there wasn't, though. There wasn't. This was towards the end of the regular season. Go down to Murph's tweet. It it sort of explains Uh, where things stood. Murph says, you'll even love Andrew if they win this game. Okay, so he must have. I believe this was the game. This was game 82, right? The Nuggets game? Probably against the Nuggets when the playoffs were on the line. Sure. And um, that was a great and game, I did love way. Jimmy Butler at that point. And and you know what? <laughs> I love Jimmy Butler with the Heat. I hated the way Jimmy Butler handled everything with his exit with Minnesota. Yep, he showed no desire to try and make it work with a young superstar in Carl Anthony Towns, and he lumped Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins in the same bin. And I hated that. But I got to give him credit because he is thriving in Miami. They might go to the NBA Finals. Yeah, they might. I, I think, think the Celtics win the series, but they might go to the bleeding finals. You know, you know what? Perfect, perfect coach for him. We talked about it last week. Yeah. I really believe that's the key here. I agree. And Pat Riley, the overlord, yeah, just yeah. like all well, this really experience. well run. I mean, Pat Riley. It's funny. We look at Jimmy Butler, and it's like, oh man, he's a tough guy to handle, and oh, he's just kind of a pain in the ass. And Pat Riley's like, all right, I coached the Showtime Lakers throughout the eighties. I coached the rough and tumble Knicks in the nineties. Yeah, I coached the Miami Heat with young Dwayne Wade and Shaq in the early two thousands, and I've oversaw LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Ray Allen and Chris Bosh. Like, I can deal with egos. I can handle this one. Yes. By the way, uh, hot take or prediction: If the Clippers don't win Game Seven tonight against the Nuggets, if the Nuggets come back again down three to one, you can just hand the trophy to the Lakers. The Lakers, like, the Nuggets aren't good enough to win at all. They might be good enough to win Game 7 against the Clippers tonight, but if uh, if the Clippers aren't standing in the way of the Lakers, then LeBron James What's going on with, with the Clippers? Ring. I don't know. Like, why is this series going 7, I guess would, would be super my question. Weird. I'm not paying super close attention because there's lots of know. other good stuff going on, but I'm a little bit confused as to why this is going 7 games. you got to think that hey. Kawhi is just going just gonna to go Superman tonight. I don't know. Speaking of, in my sport... Did you see who's going to be the Western Conference representative Dallas. in the Stanley Cup? That's yeah. right. Your former Minnesota Dallas. North Stars. Woof. So how do you, I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of people, like I was born in the mid-80s, Declan was born after. We don't really have a North Stars attachment. Mm-hmm. So I see this. I see the Dallas Stars going to the finals. It's like, oh, the Dallas Stars are in the finals. Right. None you none. see the Dallas Stars in the finals, and you think North Stars are in the finals? No, not now. I, like, I acknowledge it, but it's not like, I mean, I, I tweeted out, a question about how people were feeling about it last night, and I did get some responses, bleep them, they broke my heart, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they have now, I believe that they, so the North Stars were here just for context. From 1967 to 92-93, which is 26 years, I believe, um, they then moved to Dallas for the start of the 93-94 season. It's 2000, which is 27 years. So here's the scary thing. The Dallas Stars have now been in existence a year longer than the Minnesota North Stars were. And so no, about, I can't. I can't bring myself now to actually torture myself about the fact that Dallas, which yeah. I, I guess, if there was going to be one 
really tough time to be a former North Star fan and see Dallas successful it was 99 when they won the Stanley Cup final. Foot was in the crease, but yeah. I think... Yeah, and that rule was Foot stupid. Was in the crease. And that rule was absolutely stupid. But anyway, um, that would have been tough. That was tougher. This to me now in 2020, and plus it's 2020. Everything's going to go wrong. We already know that. <laughs> They're going to win the cup, aren't they? They're going to win the cup. They're going to yeah. And then, but you know what? They can't have a parade. And keep in mind, it'll always be the summertime Stanley Cup, not the real season Stanley oh, okay. Cup. Okay, it's a Stanley Cup. I love how you just like sports are all back, and you're just like it's all fake. It doesn't matter. I'm enjoying them. I just don't count it seriously. Seasons are compromised. Actually, you know what, though? I told you guys this. That's the one thing. At the rate that we're going, Super Bowl, completely legit. But but there's no fans in the stands. That game against the Packers not was the altered the because stand. there's no fans. But but that doesn't bother me as much as the that structure, bugs the you. The integrity of the schedule is what, more. Yes, exactly. Okay. Right. If you can't play a continuous season, or in baseball's case, I mean, the Twins are almost done. They got like 14 games left. Okay. That's, not a continu- that's not a real championship season. Yeah. Um, well, let's get let's get Patrick on the line here and see see what he thinks. I got I got a question about last night's game for Patrick because we saw we saw Dive and Jake back in action. Patrick Ricey, we wrap with Ricey every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm Mackie and Judd. You can also find Ricey Unchained every Monday in the Mackie and Judd podcast feed. And uh, Roycey also, uh, Roycey on baseball, you're all over the place. Monday Night Sports Talk. We have for you, Patrick, a Randy and Cottage Grove dud stable. Are you ready okay. for it? Okay. All right, I'm ready. All right, these are these are his duds. He joined us earlier today. Daniil <laughs> Hunter is a dud because he won't get on the field and play. Okay. Uh, Unique Ngakwe because he was invisible. Okay. Trey Waynes. Because <laughs> <laughs> he laughed. No, because he was terrible in the game against the Packers is what Randy said. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. I thought... Uh... I thought maybe he was upset that Trey wasn't good enough to stay, so then they had to play these other guys. Maybe that was yeah. uh, Holton Hill in the Dud Stable. Mike, I would have to agree with that one. Yeah, pretty bad. Mike Zimmer in the Dud Stable. And the final one is Governor Tim Walls in the Dud yeah, Stable for not allowing fans inside U.S. Bank Stadium. Okay. All right. Well, I think you can make a case for that, that they might have uh, – you know, as the old saying goes, they might have only had 475 yards if, uh, if there had been a crowd there. To kind of uh, <laughs> cut down on Aaron's proficiency, that's for sure. I'm just very upset that that kid with the three names dropped those two wide-open passes. Would well, have that been the first time our boys ever gave up 600? Wow. Let me, I'll look that up. Uh, you know, I'll look that up. 524. By the way, not the worst opener. Uh, Les Steckles opener. In uh, 1984, first ever game against the uh, Chargers. Uh, 1984, they gave up five. They got beat 42 to 13 and gave up 526. I looked that up. Five. Uh, that had to be still fouls, right? Uh, was it still fouls in '84? Maybe. Yeah, probably was. I think you're right. Yeah. All I remember is a big build up from Sid as to how everybody was really on the less on board with Glass, and uh, we expected a big, raucous performance from the Vikings. And uh, they demonstrated they wanted him fired already after that game. Well, training camp was the best with, with Les, right? With, with the whole oh, yeah. Vietnam military deal that he did down in Mankato? Yeah. Greg Wong, uh, my friend Greg Wong, who usually wrote it pretty straight, uh, had one of the, uh, the uh, most faithful lines ever. 
He told us about all the troops he led into Vietnam. He never told us how many he led out. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Something along those lines, yes. uh, Anyway. Uh, But, uh, well, it's... uh, it was, uh, Phil, it was, uh, as, as you, you know, you're pretty much a, a hardcore Viking uh, fan and I like to see them do well. And uh, that was a shock to me, man. Uh, I didn't watch much of the game. I was at the Twins game, but wow, is that, uh, you know, Cameron Dantzler, you know, sometimes, you know, he would have been Mr. Mankato, right? Yeah, he, yeah, no, he, he officially is Mr. Mankato this year. Yes. Mr. Man, I mean, he had it, and he wrapped it, he had it wrapped up after like four days, right? Yes. Every, every receiver who tried to get past him was covered by the, like the proverbial blanket. Uh, but, uh, the, the game picks up in speed a little bit when it's actually in the regular season and not practice. So, so I actually have, I've, I've tracked down the Vikings' worst yardage allowed defensive performances in team history. Nineteen okay. times they have allowed at least five hundred total yards, including this game against Green Bay. Uh, it is the most they've allowed. Let's see here. Well, the most they've allowed ever was nineteen sixty-two at the Baltimore Colts. They allowed wow. five hundred seventy-six yards in that game and lost forty-two to seventeen. Wow, that had to be Earl Morrill too, probably not Johnny Unitas. I might be wrong. Maybe it was Unitas. Let's let's click on the old box score here. You got the box score for that day. I got the box score. It was Earl Morrill would be my guess. It was Johnny U. Johnny Unitas. Or it was Johnny. My God. How about this? Johnny Unitas threw four interceptions in that game, too. Of course too. he did. 380, 385, <laughs> four touchdowns, four interceptions, and the Colts still won 42-17 to by scoring 28 <laughs> points in the fourth quarter. Biggest change in football. Holy cow. We, the Vikings The Vikings were leading 17-14 to 14 at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and the Colts scored 28 unanswered <laughs> to win that game. Oh, man, we're going to have to look that one up closer. I bet Van had some uh, nice comments for his man. Brockman had some nice comments for his team after that fourth quarter collapse. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've said it a million times. The biggest change in football is an interception now is a capital crime, right? I mean, it's what what was the biggest play in the whole Viking game? Cousins' interception. Yeah. How did he throw that interception? Back then, we hated fumbles. If a, if a guy dropped a, you know, fumbled, man, he was a running back. He was persecuted. But interceptions, who gives a damn? I think Pink Tark had 38 or something his last season, 36. He was In 78? Yeah, he probably yeah. did. Yeah. Oh, oh we didn't care in the 70s for sure. Oh, God, we used to throw three or four games. He had thirty. He led the league in passing yards in 1978 with 3,400, and he led the league with 32 interceptions. <laughs> and you know what's amazing about him? He was a deacon dunker. You know, with the swing passes to uh, uh, the guy with the back coming out of the, of, you know, little. They, they didn't. It wasn't like he went back and gunned down the field 35 yards, and and somebody Paul Kraus Jr. came over and picked it off. It was uh, a lot of thinking and dunking and just. Hey, Pat, I do feel like at that time, though, if you decided to throw the ball deep and got picked, nobody cared at at all. You know what they said? Just as good as a punk. Yes. Just as good as a punk. Just like air it out. There's nothing more hilarious than old football stats from what you guys are saying. So that 1978 season, all right, so Fran Tarkenton led the NFL with 32 interceptions. 
you had 10 guys throw at least 20 interceptions in 1978. <laughs> Nobody cared. Nobody. But meanwhile, college football, Sandy Stevens was an All-American in 1960. When they went to the Rose Bowl, he was a, yeah, he was a 60, he was a senior. All-American. And, you know, a typical game for him was 7 for 11 for 83 yards. And then he'd run for, you know, 80, 90 yards. But nobody threw it around in college football at all. It was a, I mean, maybe a, one school here or there. But they didn't pass it on. They just, uh, you know, they ran a little option play that the Gophers ran to, with Sandy Stevens and those guys. But meanwhile, the pros were just throwing it all over the place and, uh, and interceptions left and right. It was unbelievable. Steve DeBerg, quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers before the Joe Montana era started, 1978. He completed 45% of his passes, eight touchdowns, 22 interceptions, and a passer rating of 40. <laughs> and did he start them all? He, start, he started 12 of the 16 games, yeah. <laughs> oh, we saw Steve DeBerg play all the time. Hilarious. Look, look up. You had to work hard to get there's one thing is they wouldn't play a young guy. You know, if you came into the league, uh, if you were playing by your third year, it was a miracle. They, uh, even if you were the number one draft choice, they wouldn't put you in. It was, it was novel when uh, Shula let uh, Marino play as a rookie. That was very unusual. I'm oh, sorry. Tommy Kramer, I, I think Kramer had to wait till his third year. Yeah, he did. Uh, it wasn't much better when they put the backup quarterback in. Scott Bull was the backup quarterback for San Francisco that year. I can't remember Scott Bull. I usually can remember all of them. I never heard of that. So when you combine the numbers of all the quarterbacks <laughs> that played for the Niners in 1978, 43% completions, nine touchdowns to 36 interceptions. <laughs> oh, yeah. How'd they do? They, got uh, they went 2-14. and 14. They went 2-14. 2-14. and 14. Pretty bad. Okay. Right. O.J. Simpson yeah. was the running back. Oh, O.J. Simpson was absolutely awful with San Francisco. Hey, so uh, explain uh, Diving Jake Cave to me, Patrick. <laughs> well, I was saying the other day he hasn't gone to right field, but he hasn't gotten the left figured out yet either. Let me see here. <laughs> Let me see here. It's a tie game, late in the game. Why don't I dive and turn this into a double to get the winning run at second base? I think that's a good idea. He said, you know what? I wouldn't mind him diving if he ever caught one. <laughs> But he never does. He never does catch him. It was, and uh, I was a little disappointed in my guy Justin Morneau last night because he apologized for him. Nobody wouldn't. The boys on the radio on the TV would not criticize him for the stupid play it was. Yeah, he uh, he needs to stop doing that. Like he, well, they need to get the lineup back on the field. Let's go. Uh, you got to look at that lineup yesterday. Man, a lot. That's much Marwin bailed out on him. They, uh, they, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you got E Hire is playing, and, uh, you know, as I said, we could really use Ilamaro Vargas now. What a lineup that was. That's it, and that's all your fault. Again, you chased him out of town immediately instead of giving this poor kid a chance. He'd be playing second base right now. Well, I, I told you, I didn't care which one left. I just didn't want them both. Was that the 
end of Nelson Cruz last night? Is he 40 and washed up? Is that it? Is, he, is it over for him? Boy. Wow. Oh, you got to hit the panic alarm for that. The, the, the cliff is coming at some point. <laughs> My American League MVP, it's over? I don't know. He's not the, the first baseman from the last Yeah, I know. Father time comes knocking for everybody. Did it knock for Nelson Cruz last night? Wow. Zolgad column scoring on. Yeah, I'll go from MVP. I, I, double colon. <laughs> Done. I told you that um, my friend Bob Dutton would cover him out in Seattle, and I loved him uh, as a guy. And, uh, you know, but he said he would go for two weeks, and you'd say, uh oh, it's over. He can't do anything. And then for the next three weeks, he would be unbelievable putting the bat on anything. You know, big, strong guys usually, uh, you know, have their slumps, and then they come out and they rip it up. And it's amazing that he really hasn't had a, a slump for the Twins uh, you know, in, in two years, right? I mean, but this is uh, last night he did not have good at-bats, that's for sure. Yep. All right, Pat. You know, they're throwing him on a lot of great bats. They're throwing him on a lot of breaking balls now. Um, yeah, seen the fastball anymore. So, yep. anyway. we'll talk Let's to you tomorrow, sir. There. Let's go, Rocco. <laughs> All right, see you, Pat. All right, Gar- garbly phone. There. I want you to go. I want you to go. Uh, pro football reference, Phil Mackey, and look up the career of the first overall pick in the nineteen, I believe, it was seventy one draft by the Patriots. A young man by the name of Jim Plunkett out of Stanford. Oh yeah, and I want Dude, you. To, he's he's won two Super Bowls. Uh, yes, I know. Is but, he a Hall of Famer? But I want you to do the. I want you to look at his first four seasons and the fact that he kept the job. It know. is a hilarious I'm exercise. Old, old football stats are so funny. It is a hilarious exercise. All right, Jim Plunkett went to. He's a Stanford man too. Oh my. All right, so here's Jim Plunkett. Actually, his first year wasn't wasn't a total disaster. No, you got to put the first four years together and do. Let's all the, take his, his years. And do the math. It's hilarious. Years uh, two through four. Actually, you could probably take this exercise even further. Jim Plunkett years two through four. Let's look at the touchdowns. Forty eight percent completions, forty three touchdowns to seventy one interceptions. Yes, six yards per attempt, a fifty seven passer rating. His first four years with the Patriots, he hit eighty interceptions. God. And was still starting for them in 1975. That is hilarious. It's it's like Bill Walsh came along in the late, when did he come along? Like 1979, I want to say. Yes. Was his first year. With yeah, I think that's correct. I think that he did and they come were, along. And they were bad. And then they got Joe Montana. And like second or third year with Bill Walsh, the strategy was mostly, let's just not throw 30 picks. Mm-hmm. I know it's you know West Coast offense, but like really the premise of his West Coast offense was, Let's throw shorter passes, rely on yards after the catch, and let's just not throw 30 interceptions. And Joe Montana did that, and it was revolutionary. And they won. They were a dynasty because of it. And it, Hilarious. Speaking of Steve DeBerg, too, Football. I want you guys to go Google today the unbelievable story of Steve DeBerg's loudspeaker. It oh, is. It was. I watched it. It. I did too, and I had forgotten about it. And it is one of the great. Like, like when you're just talking about football-y football stuff. Yeah. The fact that they put a speaker <laughs> on his back like a boombox because he had lost his voice. You got to go watch this. Okay, it's a, it's great. So, so what's listeners it, should too. So, uh, what should I Google? Steve Deberg. Yeah, and voice pack. Voice box. Okay. Yes, voice, voice box. Okay. Voice I'll pack. Voice box. You, you got to watch. But it's pretty good. We actually should talk about this because this is one of the greatest. Is this like the Judbot three thousand footbally football things? It amplified his voice, but he literally had a boombox strapped to his back mm-hmm. while playing quarterback. All right, I'll find this. 
Uh, this is hilarious. Uh, we have write that down predictions tomorrow on the show, and we will see you guys yeah. then. If you own a small to medium sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The employee retention credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at refundspro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses. So don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free 5-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.